Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Chapel Hill. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of verses. I guess he's not going to put them up there, but you're going to have to pull out your little device or your real Bible that you might carry. First, I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. And uh, actually, it's not that. It's something else. Yeah. No, it's 21. Sorry about that. You know, this is uh, years ago, I had a, an amazing revelation of Galatians 2, 20. How many people know Galatians 2, 20? We all know that. That's no longer I, but Christ. And I was telling a friend of mine who was a major prophet, he was, he's no longer with us, Bob Jones, he was a real true prophet of the Lord. And one night he asked me, hey Byron, what's the Lord been showing you? I said, Galatians 2.20. He said, wonderful, but you know where that's going to take you? It's going to take you to Ephesians 2.20. Come on. Okay? And at the time I thought, what in the world? I didn't really know Ephesians 2.20. And when I read it after that, I thought, well, I don't really know what he was talking about. Uh, but I've learned what he's talking about. And Galatians 2.20 is a very powerful verse, but this is also powerful. Uh, It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is a profound, these are are very profound statements here, y'all. Hey, I wanted to say something. I'm going to stop right now. Mr. Calves back there. You, Mr. Calf, who played the saxophone. Yeah. Yeah, Michael. I was looking at his calves like, man, you need to work your calves out some. <laughs> now, actually, uh, the Lord gave me something for you during words. I wanted to tell you. I, did, I forgot it for a second. But here's what he was showing me about you. There's someone in your family, maybe a grandmother or a great It was a woman, I know for sure, that was really pleasing to the Lord. Okay, real pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord was showing me that you are actually going, you know, you're going to reap where this this person saved because they had sown something into the Lord uh, that God loved, that was sweet to the Lord. And I feel like the Lord is going, you're going to reap it. You're going to reap something amazing. And so you really have something. I don't know about your family, but I know there was at least one person in your family that was amazing. And, and you have that in you, and you have the, you're going to have the fruit of that person in you. So I, I hope that means something to you. If it don't, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. And also, where's the guy? He's not in here. The piano player. Well, tell him this, Matthew. This is unusual. What I saw on him, I saw a target. Uh, usually when you see a target on a person, it's not a good thing, right? You think it's the devil's got a target on it. But it was a very unusual target because of the colors of it. It had these, uh, uh, like, different, they were, like, beautiful colors, like, more heavenly colors. And I felt like the Lord was saying that, that he had put a, that, that was the Lord's target on his heart. And that God was going to, God was aiming at his heart. And things that were meaningful to him in his heart, heart stuff, that God was fixing to come into in a big way. And, it, and, I, and you know, I, I, that's all the Lord showed me. I imagine, like, you know, I imagine things that are important to me, like my relationship with Becky is important. That's a heart thing. That would be something, like an example. But then I did want to say this to Mr. Fawn here. <laughs> Mr. Fawn, stay who you are, buddy, okay? Because the Lord loves who you are. Don't change for nobody. Keep being you. But I did feel like the Lord gave me that famous verse, uh, 
out of Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Remember those verses. Don't think about, don't remember the former things. You know, God's got something different for you and new for you. And what the past was good, but God has something better for you. You know, and he's going to make a, you know, it goes on as he's going to make a way in the desert or, or rivers in the desert, uh, a roadway in the wilderness. So there's something good coming your way. And I believe it's stuff that you sincerely have prayed into for years and desired for years. At that time, it's coming upon you. So you take that 43, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, and, you know, make it personal. Okay. Oh, really? Okay, well, cool. That's a good founding verse. So, amen. Well, anybody can prophesy, right? Yes, anybody can. (laughs) Yeah, I better not. (laughs) Uh, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Verse 22, in whom you also. And so I want to say this, is I believe that verse is for this church. You are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, for the home for the presence of the Lord. Because that's really our vision. That's, That's a river life vision. Um, that, you know, that we we don't want to just do church, y'all. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I love church, and I'm a church person, okay? I wouldn't be a pastor if I wasn't, obviously. But I believe God has something powerful for the body of Christ. And I believe what, it, what God is looking for, I will say this. I don't know if I've ever shared it here, but if I have, it doesn't matter because you probably wasn't here. But the Lord years ago, years ago, showed me that in the, in the days ahead, and I don't know when those days will actually manifest, that there will be places all over the earth, all over the earth, where people can go and experience the manifest presence of the Lord. Just like David's tabernacle. back, you know, David had this tent pitched in his backyard with the Ark of the Covenant, and people could literally go there. Any person, which David broke all the rules, any person could go into the Holy of Holies. Any person could go there and have an encounter with the Lord. And that, you know, that, uh, that thing sat there for 33 years, the same number of years that Jesus was on the earth. And so the, the Lord showed me years ago in the last times that all over the earth, where every human being on this planet has opportunity to experience the presence of the Lord in a real and tangible way. And the Lord's called us to be that. I'll tell you that more than anything else, He's called us to be a host for His presence, a place where the presence of God can settle and rest and where people can have a genuine encounter with the Lord, a real, when they encounter the Lord in a a real way where it impacts their life. And you know, when you come into the presence of the Lord like that, you, you, in some ways you're forced into a decision. You'll walk away... One way or the other, you'll either, you'll either cut God off or you will completely sell yourself out to God. There won't be no, there's no in-between road. And see, God desires to do that. He hungers to do that. He hungers for a place where he can, you know, Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And see, uh, and that's what he has been building. That's what Paul was talking about, building this thing, okay, a dwelling place. For the living God. And that, what a, that's the most amazing. Now, of course, that applies to us individually, right? 
you know, each one of us are, are meant to be carriers of the presence of the Lord. We're, we're all hosts. We're carrying something. And God wants to develop that more in us. And he also wants to develop things corporately. And that would be churches. It, it, it could be businesses. It could be homes. Uh, you know, they took, took the, the uh, you know, back in the days of Samuel or Eli before Samuel, they took the Ark of the Covenant into a man called Obed-Edom's house. And it was so blessed. David heard about the blessing of it, like, wait a minute. That's when he went and got the ark and took it to his backyard because he heard how God was blessing Obed's house. And he, and he said, I'm not going to just let, let it be there. And also, you know what he did, though? He took Obed with him. He didn't just take it away from him. He said, come on, come with it. And Obed is found in Scripture being with the Lord and being a part of the worship of the Lord. Okay, so no man left out. You know, no man. And, you know, I was thinking this morning when we were praying for Israel, is God loves the Jewish people, obviously, but He loves the, the, the Arab people. It's not like they're the bad people. They're obviously bad people there doing bad stuff, but it's not like God is saying, I reject those people. No, He loves those people, and He wants to save their lives. Yeah, He wants to save their lives. See, God's really into this stuff. He's really into it. But Matthew, you know, mentioned uh, that we were in a time of shifting, and I believe we are. And I believe one thing we have to do, okay, uh, let me just say this. I love River Life, okay? I have to love it because God put put it in me. And he's he's given me this thing to care. He told me one time that you're, he said, you're the caretaker of the DNA for River Life. That's your assignment, okay? But the truth is, there's something bigger than just that. The truth is, it's what Matthew mentioned, being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You see, God is calling us to lift our vision higher. He really is. And if we will lift our vision higher, we will begin to see the Lord, okay? We had a spiritual father named Arthur Burke. And Arthur Burt was an amazing man, and he the last time he preached in our church, he was 100 years old. Can you imagine that 100-year-old man preaching? We heard him, when we first started hearing him, he was probably 60 years old, and he was a powerhouse, okay, at 60. But at 100, he didn't quite have the, the bodily strength, but he had a lot, of, a lot of wisdom flowing out of him. But Arthur had this one saying that has stuck with me. He had many sayings that have stuck. But one of them was this, the greater includes the lesser. Yeah. But the lesser does not necessarily include the greater. You see, the kingdom of God is the greater. And so Paul said it there. Citizens. He's talking about citizenship in the kingdom. That's the greater thing for all of us. That we belong to a king. We belong in his kingdom. Am I talking to anybody? Okay. And so that's really what God wants us to lift our vision a little higher than our ministry. You know, we have our ministry. We have our church. We have our ministry over here at the school. All these things are wonderful. We have our music ministry. We have our preaching ministry. What a prophetic ministry. We have all that, but God's saying, there's something bigger. There's something bigger. And as you, we lift our vision higher, that higher thing includes all that stuff. On, it's, it's automatic. I shared recently at our church about the, the kingdom being, and it's, a, it's sort of a bad analogy, you know, that scripture where Jesus says, uh, don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Well, for years I used to think, okay, if I seek the kingdom first, I will get those things. 
Okay, well, that's true in a sense. But really what Jesus was saying, all those things are within the sphere of the kingdom. And so when you get the kingdom, they come with you. And the bad analogy is the vacations that are all-inclusive. Right? You go on vacation and everything's there. And that's really what the kingdom is really... And that's how God wants us to see the kingdom. When we get the kingdom, these things are automatically part of the kingdom. What you eat, what you drink. That's why he said, don't worry. He said, don't worry because they're there. Go after the kingdom and God will make sure when you, you, you're stepping into kingdom, you're experiencing the kingdom, those things will happen in your life. Okay, I'm glad y'all like that. Yes, sir. And then he talks about being a, 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 a member of the household of God. And that's really what God wants everybody to know. That you, every, all, of us want, all of us want to belong. All of us want to be known. Right? Whether you think that or not, deep down inside there's something crying out to you to belong. To something. And, and to, to feel loved and feel affirmed. Every, we need God created this fact. And that's what Paul's talking about right there. God wants you to know from the bottom of your heart that you belong. That you're in, you don't have to get in. You don't, you don't have to get in. You're in. You're in. As far as God is concerned, you're in. He just wants you to come into a place of agreement and begin to understand that you belong. And boy, when we begin to get that revelation, a lot of this stuff that people do to, to feel affirmed and be affirmed and all that, all that stuff goes out the window because you don't no longer have to do it. You don't have to because you have it and you begin to flow in it. And, and we can begin to really genuinely affirm each other. And that's really what the Lord wants to do. He's, he wants us to genuinely affirm each other. Amen. So I believe the Lord, we're in a time uh, where the Lord is stirring things in people's hearts. And I believe the Lord is stirring, like there's old dreams, there's old visions that people have had, things that, that God has put in them in years past that maybe, maybe you've suffered and you probably have. Maybe there's been a loss of things. And maybe there's been brokenness in your life and disappointment in your life about things. And maybe even there were some, some of us, we've had dreams and visions and stuff that we felt they were dead. We felt they were gone. And the Lord's saying, no, God is a God of resurrection. He's a God of life. And if God has put something in you, I believe that he's, what I'm seeing is he's like blowing the ashes Blowing the sorrow, blowing the disappointment off our hearts. And guess what's in there? Those things that we dream for, those things we hope for, those things we believe for, they're still cooking in us. They're still burning in us. You know, despite the troubles, despite the loss and disappointment, despite all the mistakes we may have made along the ways that even created some of it. You know? But it's still in there. It's like a fire that's still burning. And I'll tell you, this fire to see a home for the presence of the Lord burns in my heart. I mean, that's the thing. When when everything boils down to it, it's like, that's what I want. If I had to go down, like, this is the one thing you get. And I said, that's what I'm I'm getting. You know, and and it burns me. But but I went through a lot of sorrow over it. And I got to a place, there was a time where I didn't even, I had lost touch with it, I felt like. And the Lord really had to really speak to me. But in recent times, it's not just a matter of having faith that is there. 
I know it's there. I've went, I've went into another level, another realm of just the reality of it. And God wants to impart to you today some hope for your life. He wants to, he wants to stir your vision and give you, to give you and cause you something. The thing that burned in you at one time to begin to burn again. You know, now it may look different. It may manifest different. But nevertheless, God wants to burn it in your heart. Because it is in your heart. And all He wants to do is blow the breath on your heart. Like blowing blowing on the coals of your heart. And that's really the truth, y'all. So we really are in a time of renewed vision and passion. I really feel that, you know. And I just pray that God really impart that. Years ago, I had this dream. It was an amazing dream. I wanted to mention this. In the dream, I was on a construction site. Okay? And, and you know, I don't know if y'all know. The footers of the, of the building were being, it was me and Jesus laying, building the foundation of this building. And it was, it was just crazy because he was, like, he would get down like this and look. And I would get down and look. And I'd look at him, just try to see what he was looking at. And look back. It was like, I was like this little boy in this dream with Jesus. And what I realized, he, what he was doing, he was laying the cornerstone. He was laying himself into this building. He was placing himself in this building. And, and what I realized, what the Lord was saying to me is this very thing, that he's the chief cornerstone. And, you know, in the building world, your foundation is everything. And that's why the buildings take a long time foundation. You can see a building site, and they're like, they're never going to build the building. It's, there's never going to be a building there. And then one day it just pops up. But they had spent so much time on the foundation. Because the Bible says if the foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right. The answer is nothing. 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 But Jesus is our foundation, and, and that foundation will never be destroyed. And so what he was trying to teach me in that dream is that he wanted to teach me how to cooperate with him to see that the cornerstone. And everything, every stone that was put in that building from there would reference back to this one stone, the person of the Lord Jesus. And if we don't have that reference... What we build will not be correct. And it will not, exactly, it will not stand the test of time. It will not bear to go through the storms of life. You know, uh, you could blow a, you can blow a roof off a, a building and go put a new roof on it. You sure can. But if you blow a building off its foundation, you're just going to have to scrape the whole building. You know, and so whatever we do in our life, Christ has to always be central. He has to be the central focus. Well, I know I'm not telling y'all anything, but I, this is really, really great stuff, man. Uh, you know, and so I think one of the things the Lord wants to do is to position us in reference to Him. And for some of us, reposition us, adjust us. So there's this adjustment, a slight adjustment to get you seated more in reference to Him. It may, for some of you, it may be slight. For some of you, others, it may not be slight. It may feel a little dramatic to you. So if you've been going through anything where there's changes or whatever you feel, or maybe just feeling stuff inwardly, it's really the Lord. The Lord's doing it in your life. And what He's trying to do is get you more in reference to Him. So you can, your life can be built in reference to Him. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to read another scripture. Ooh, are y'all all right? Yeah. Uh-oh, getting drunk. Holy Ghost. <laughs> It's not a bad thing to get drunk in church, y'all. Actually, it's a really good thing. (laughs) 
at least getting drunk in bars. I've done both. I'm going to tell you that. I've been to bars and got really drunk. I've gotten so drunk. This is, a, this is a long, long time ago. But so drunk, I have blank memories of what happened to me. I don't know what happened to me. I spent many hours laid over a commode throwing up. That is not good drunkenness. That's bad drunkenness. But I've also been in the church, in the church, and gotten drunk on the Spirit. And came away a different person. Came away really repenting. Came away sorrowful for the way I had treated people or the what thoughts I had. And really wanted to be a better person. Saying, Lord, I want to be a better husband, better father. You know? And that's what drunkenness in the Holy Spirit does. I'm just putting a plug in for, for the new wine. Yeah. When Jesus... All right, this is Matthew 16, 13. All righty. The world needs a whole church full of Michael Fonz. Hey, when the Lord's touching a person, enjoy it. Yeah. I love to see the Lord touch people. I look at people and they're up there. he was up there today. I was like, oh, I was laughing at what he was doing. Not laughing at him, but what God was doing with it. Like, everybody needs some kind of experience. We don't need to all look like Michael Fon, but we need to have that heart. We're willing to let go. Yeah. I just love that. I'm not picking on you, Michael. You're, you're in, right? He's in. He don't care. He don't have to be affirmed. He's affirmed. When Jesus came into the red, red region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do, you, who do men say... I'm going to just read this and give you a couple of points. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some said John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jer- Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's the ultimate question that every person on this earth at some point is going to have to answer right there. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? And that determines, that determines our future. That determines our eternity. That determines our t- today and tomorrow, who we say he is. Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, Jesus the Christ. Isn't that something? From that, from, uh, Okay. Uh, from the, I don't know why I wrote this down, but anyway, he went on to tell them about the cross. Sorry, y'all, I didn't write it down. That was the next thing he began to tell them. Okay, so, anyways, here's this cool thing. Caesarea Philippi. Did y'all know about Caesarea Philippi? Yeah. Okay, it's a powerful place. Literally, has anybody ever been there? Yeah, we've been there. I went there. That was when we went to Israel. I wanted to go to Caesarea Philippi because I had studied that, and I really wanted, I was really fascinated with, this is a fascinating story to me. And God has, been, has spoken to me out of this story for, since the 80s. I mean, literally. I have just, it's, it's like I always come back to it over and over in my life. It's just one of those stories I keep. So I wanted to know about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi literally was the most demonic place in all of Israel. I mean, it was, it was terrible. There is literally a gate of hell there. There's a, a tunnel or a cave where they believe Baal... Or, or how are Hebrews say Baal, B-A-A-L, I say Baal, but that's probably not right. There, where, where they believed Baal would come in and out of the underworld in that tunnel. 
That's why they call it the gate of hell. Um, there was a, there was all these there was a god. You ever heard of the god of Pan? Yeah, it's a half man, half animal, real lewd and perverted. And the god of Pan is actually where uh, we get the word panic from, because that's one of the things he does. He did this stuff. It was real. Okay, this is, God of Pan obviously is a Greek mythology. But what I want you to know, there's more to Greek mythology than mythology. There are spiritual things behind all this stuff. This place uh, actually butted up to Mount Hebron. Mount Hebron is where Jesus, in chapter 17, is where he went to have the Mount of Transfiguration. A lot of church people thought it was Mount Tabor, but it's really not. It's Mount Hebron because it's the only high mountain in Israel. Mount Hebron was really, listen to this. Anybody ever read Genesis 6 in here? And anybody know about Nephilims in here? Well, that's where it all started was Mount Hebron. That's where these watchers, these angels, these people, these beings decided not, you know, they came to earth on Mount Hebron, okay, and mated with women. And that's how these Nephilim, which were giants, how they came on the earth. And that's why Jesus, or that's why God sent the flood. All this is in Genesis 6. God sent the flood on the earth because humanity's DNA was polluted. It was polluted with this, it was a, they were trying to be godlike. It was a, like, you know, Jesus was fully God and fully man, Right? That's what these, these, uh, these angels were doing. It was, it was Satan's plan to, to, com- to pervert humanity, to, to create another breed, so to speak, of people that were part, part spiritual and part human, but it was not God spiritual. Are y'all following this? Yes, it, this is all really the truth, y'all. And that's why in the Old Testament, and people have such a hard time with the God of the Old Testament because he says, kill everybody. And the reason he was saying kill everybody, even the animals, because their DNA was polluted. And God can only save a human being. He can't save something else. He came to die for humanity, not a mix. So that really explains a lot. All part of what happened in Genesis 3, the, what they call the seed war. When we talked about the seed of Satan... And the seed of man, there'd be a war. And that's and that war, actually, y'all was still going on whether we know it or not. It's, it's a, it's, we're living in a warfare. We're living in that time. Well, I just wanted to tell you that because I'm, I'm fascinated with it, you know. Um, but this is interesting. Okay, back to this. We could talk about that another time. I love all that stuff. Um, rock of God, gates of hell. Okay, Jesus brought his disciples to this place. Okay, and this and this place is this is what he did. He did four things. Number one, there was this declaration of who he was. He was the Christ, the Anointed One. He was the Son of God. Now, all this was purposeful because this Jesus is, was not a victim. He was going to this place. Really, what Jesus was doing, he was calling out Satan. That's what he was doing. Because if you study, if you study Jesus' ministry up to, John, to to Matthew 17, was booming. He was loved. People were flocking to him. 
But after that, things started going downhill for him. And here's what, you know, he began to be attacked more and more and more and more all the way to the end where he was crucified. It was because this, this was a, a, a pivotal point in his ministry on earth where he shifted things. Where he said, okay, I've done, I'm, I'm starting to come to the end. I'm calling Satan out. I'm calling him out. Right where he, that, right over the top of his kingdom. Right over the gates of hell. The literal gates of hell. Over the rock, what they call the rock of gods. Because these, where these watchers came down. He, that's where he called Satan out at that point. Okay, that's what the Mount of Transfiguration was about. He went right up there where those watchers came down and said, I'm coming here. I'm going to tell you who's in charge. I'm going to tell you what we're doing. Okay, this is, this is powerful, y'all, if you can get it. Yeah. So, so there was four things. Number one, that he was the Christ. The second thing, the first mention of church in, in, the, in the Bible is right here. I will build my church. That's the first time he started talking about church. And he wants to build the church over the gate of hell. That, that's what he said. I'm going to build this church over all the council, all the might of hell. And it won't stand against the church. Isn't that powerful? I mean, it's kind of amazing. The next thing was, is the first, it was the first time, I, which is the part I didn't write down, the verses I didn't write down, verse 21, that Jesus told his disciples about his death and resurrection. It was the first time he mentioned it to them. So that's, all this is really significant. And it's also the first time he talked about the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He never talked about it. There's any keys. To the, he talked about the kingdom, but he never said, hey, there's these keys that you can get. I will give you these keys. Okay? So he wants to build the church over the gate of hell, over the rock, rock of little G's, and he wants to give us the keys. The key, you know, and, and so here's the simplified view on key, keys because I don't, you know, I don't have enough time. Keys give you three things at least. Three keys, okay? One is access, right? You can open and shut with keys, okay? And he talked about that. Whatever you, whatever you loose is loosed. Whatever you bind, that's what he was talking about. The other one is um, authority. That's a, that's a kingdom key. It's authority. You've got to have some authority. If the person who has the key has the authority. You know, that's the person. Like, if they got the keys, they can get into anywhere in the building. They're the ones who have some authority here. They can let anybody in or they can let, keep anybody out. Right? And the, th- and the other one's revelation. I'm just pulling the revelation out of what happened there. It's because he said flesh and blood didn't release this to tell you this, but my father. And so that's a real key for us. So those three things that God really wants us to walk in. He wants us to walk in his authority. He wants us to walk in revelation. And he wants us to really have access to things okay are y'all good i'm y'all not y'all ain't acting like it okay i want to tell you this little story about the key thing one time that really the lord spoke to me uh this is a few years ago as i came home one day and you know how you sometimes when you get home you're busy and your your brain is full of the day's events and so i was getting out of my car and you know i had uh, my laptop and you know I just had stuff in my hands and, and I got to the door of the house and, and it was locked and so I set my laptop down on the I had something in the other hand I don't care I set it down on the you know the railing there to get the I started looking for my keys 
I couldn't find them. And I'm thinking, where the heck is my keys? You unlocked the house. And I was looking everywhere. And I, we went back to the car. To, did I leave my key? And then all of a sudden I realized I had, when I got out of the car, I, because I was carrying everything, I, I guess I thought I was going to have to unlock the door. I actually stuck my keys in my mouth. <laughs> and so my keys were in my mouth. I'm sure you've done stuff like that with your glasses or something like that. You know, they're on the top of your head and you're looking everywhere and you're starting to get freaked out because you can't find them. Oh, they're up here. You don't tell people this stuff. But But the Lord spoke to me. That's what he says. The keys are in your mouth. The keys are in your mouth. Yeah, when you begin to speak the kingdom, that's how we release the kingdom. You see, because he said, whatever you bind, you see, you... You have to, there has, and it can't just be parroting something. It has to be something that's coming out of you. Yeah. And so the, we all need to really learn how to speak the kingdom of heaven. Speak those kids. I felt a little foolish then at the time, but, you know. <laughs> um, I just love this thing here. I'm going to read this little statement. Somebody gave it to me about the, you know, when Jesus gave Peter his identity. You're, you know, he told him who he was. Listen to this. Jesus didn't come to help you discover who you are. He came to tell you who you are. Isn't that cool? We think in terms we're going to find out who we are. But the Lord said, no, let me do this. Let me tell you who you are. Because you'll never discover who you are apart from me. And I created you. I know who you are. Let me tell you who you are. And you can really truly become that. And so we all should ask the Lord, who am I? Who am I, Lord? Tell me who I am. I need you to tell me. Tell me who I am and tell me what you think of me. And I want to adopt that thinking into my life. Because most of us don't think good of ourselves, Right? We, we really don't. But the, what we need to do is learn how to think good of ourselves. We need to learn what Jesus says. You know, the Bible says don't think more highly of yourself. Well, we can get, we can, we could do that. That's sort of the other side of the coin. But most, I have found most people don't do that. Most people struggle with bad self-image, okay? But when, we get, when, when the Lord begins to tell us who we are and what He thinks about us, and we begin to agree with Him, it's, it's a process, we begin to agree with that and say, I want to fully be everything you have told me to be. I want to fully live that life. I don't want to live below. I don't want when to come to the end of my life and the Lord said, you had all this potential in you. Why didn't you do it? You know why I didn't, Lord? I just didn't believe that about myself. I felt bad about myself. I let my bad experiences hold me back. Are y'all following me? And so that's really what he was doing with Peter at that point. He was telling Peter, Peter, this, you know, he called him Simon Barjohn. And he said, you'll be Peter. He was saying, listen, this is, this is who you think you are. You think you're just the son of this guy. But this is really who you are, Peter. He was telling Peter who he was. And we all need that from the Lord. We all desperately need it. And he wants to do it. And in that becomes our, our, our calling, our purpose, all that suddenly is, is, is enveloped into him when he begins to speak to us about our identity. It, it's a very powerful thing. You know, river life has to have that. Corporately, every church has to have the Lord say, this is who you are. Do that. Live out of that. And that's where your true success is. Well, I'm going to finish up with this one verse. Is everybody good? Um, And this is another well-known verse, but just one that has just captivated my heart for so long. Uh, So beautiful. I mean, it's the one out of Genesis 28. You know, Jacob's. everybody knows about Jacob's Ladder, right? That's one of my favorite 
things. Because I've seen in the Spirit, I've seen these ladders in the Spirit. I've seen them, you know, and I've went, I've, I saw one in Argentina one time, and I have looked for, every time I go to Argentina, I'm looking for that ladder. I know there's a day coming where that's going to manifest where I'm going to really see it more clear. But there's places on the earth that are already, there's these connection points. And, and of course, Jesus said in John 1, are y'all all right with it? John 1, 51 and 52, that he's Jacob's ladder. When those guys were hearing him talking about, you'll see the angels ascending on the Son of Man, he was, those guys knew exactly what he was talking about. They said, he's talking about what Jacob, yeah. what Jacob saw. They, Jesus was claiming he's that ladder. They knew it. See, they were Hebrews. They understood it. They knew it. They understood that story they, that Jacob said he found a stone there and put his head on it. They knew exactly what that stone was. Jesus was that stone. Jacob put his head on the cornerstone and slept. Read the whole thing. That's, that's what it really means. See, the Bible's full of all this information in it. Some of it is subtle, subtly revealed in other scriptures. Subtle, but you've got to kind of look. If you pay attention, that's what revelation is. If you, you know, you can access it. You can begin to see this stuff. I love this stuff. It said Jacob, in verse 16, Genesis 28, I'm jumping down the short part. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. You see, the Lord can be somewhere, and we miss it. I remember this somebody. I remember we used to talk about somebody. Yeah, someone was talking about they was in a meeting or something, and God was moving powerfully. I mean powerfully, but the person they was with, like, duh. They didn't catch it. They missed it. See, we can miss the Lord. We can, we can be like Jacob. The Lord can be doing wonderful things. And we're like, what? what where's the Lord? I didn't, I didn't experience the Lord in worship this morning. I didn't think God was in it. And then somebody else is up there just going nuts, getting drunk. And you're wondering, like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. Just, just, just open yourself up a little bit. Just let go of your, your thoughts. Do like Jacob did. Put your head on him. Like John did at the Last Supper. It says he put his head on Jesus' breast. Can you imagine what he was hearing, Jesus' heartbeat? That's like, oh, Lord, everybody needs to hear the heartbeat of God. I mean, I just, I've, I've thought about that scripture so much when he said he laid his head on Like, that's what I want to do, Lord. I want to put my head on your breast and hear the very heartbeat of God. Because when you start hearing his heartbeat, your heart starts getting in rhythm with him. You start feeling stuff in God's heart. And some of it's challenging. Some of it will, will make you weep. It really will. Because God has some things in his heart. I promise you God is not up in heaven rejoicing over what's happening in Israel. God's in weeping in heaven over it. Tears of God. Because of what has, you know, the hurt and the pain, the, the murder. You know, I just can't, you know, just all, anyways. Let me move on. Let me just finish this. Listen to this. And he, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. That's right. The house of God, the gate. Of, and that really is the first time the house of God, which we would say is the church, is mentioned in the New Testament. Or, or in the Bible, I'm sorry. The very first time when God says, there's a house of God. This is where it says it. And he tells us what it is. He's, 
He says the house of God, the church, and us as individuals, we're meant to be a gate of heaven. That's what we're meant to be, that gate. That's what the Lord was trying to tell us in this story. Now, this is not not reachable. This is not too far out there. It's what God intends for humanity, that we would be gates where people could access. Just like Jesus was that gate. He walked around the earth, and he brought heaven with him. And that's what John was was saying. Um, I love that. We're not trying to get his presence, right? We have his presence, John 14, 21. But we need to grow in the awareness of his presence. Okay, we really need to grow into the awareness of God's presence. Every one of us in this room, we all, because the presence is available. God wants us to be that gate. Now, let me read verse 11. Matthew, I'm going to finish, man. Yes. Uh, verses 11 it says so he came to a certain place this is I'm reading behind before it and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep and so I think one of the things that we have to do I know this to be true is we have to we have to put our human intellect and our human logic and our human reasons, we we had to lay all that down. That's what he was. That's what the Bible said. We had to lay that down, okay. And when we lay that down, you know, God begins to release release revelation. He begins to release something to us. It's not that those. See, here's the thing: your brain is amazing. Your intellect is amazing. Your all that is a gift from the Lord, meant to be used powerfully. Where we would be, we couldn't be functioning without it, right? But here's the thing: many, many, most people are are we're, we serve it. It rules us. You see what I'm saying? Your intellect rules you. Your reasoning rules you. What you see with your eyes, hear with your ears, it rules you. It rules your life. And what God wants to do is like, no, that's your servant. I gave it to you to serve you, to help you. And so what we had to be, begin to do is, is, is have this renewal and, tr- and transfer the, and tell the, tell the ruler, listen, you're not the ruler no more. Amen. You are the servant now. You are, have been demoted in my life. I'm serious. You've got to say that stuff out loud. When your brain is telling you stuff, when you're seeing stuff that's scaring you and freaking you out, you've got to say, no, you're the servant. I decide what freaks me out, not you. Literally, when you begin to speak that stuff out loud, the keys in your mouth, you begin to speak it. You speak to the thing that scares the fire out of you, okay? Or makes you sick at your stomach or, you know, tempted to do something bad. You speak to it like, no, you're the servant. This is what we're doing. We're not thinking about that. We're not going to think about that. You know, in the middle of the night when the thoughts come to you, here's what you do. This is what I do. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm going back to sleep. Amen. See, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm taking charge of what's in my mind. Yeah. If you don't take charge, it's going to take charge of you. And I'm telling you, yeah, this is really the truth. And this is how we begin to walk through this and, and have our minds renewed. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com. 